What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, flying solo today, at least hosting-wise. But we do have a very special guest. Before I introduce him, I just want to remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation podcast network. We really do enjoy them. Contrary to conventional wisdom, we do read the comments, so please keep them coming. I am very excited on this Friday. We have a very special guest. You've heard him on with Niner Nate uh, earlier this year. When I heard it, I immediately said to myself, like, this is somebody that I want to have on. So I am very excited to speak with Vish Kumaran from the Blake and Vish YouTube channel. Also Mondays with Grant Cohn. What is up? Hey, what's going on? Thank you for having me on. Anytime. No problem. There's a lot of 49ers stuff I want to get to both just stuff that's rattling around in my own head and also some of the news. Uh, Adam Peters got promoted to assistant general manager today. Congratulations to Adam Peters. So we'll get to that. I want to get to some stuff about Sam Darnold and potentially the price for him and whether the 49ers should pursue that or what other backup quarterback options they may go after. And last but not least, there was this weird little nugget about Jimmy Garoppolo and the Patriots that popped up early on Friday too. So we want to get to all of that. Let's start with the Adam Peters stuff. I saw it. It wasn't exactly unexpected. Congratulations. You're the new assistant GM. Change the business card. That's great. Here is my question to you, Vish. How long do you think Adam Peters is going to be the 49ers assistant GM? Because he was almost the Panthers GM this offseason. Yeah, I think it's going to be about one year, maybe two. Just because even when the way the thing was reported with Field Yates, he said this is a guy that a lot of people expect to be a GM very soon. So that tells you that Field Yates, who's very plugged in, is telling you that this is a move that it could be very short term for Adam Peters. And who knows, maybe he's the GM of the 49ers and John Lynch gets promoted. A lot of people have speculated that move for a couple of years. I don't know much about that, but that's something to look at. But to me, it's one to two years for Adam Peters. I don't think his promotion is really that big of a deal. I think it's just kind of a reward for good work. I don't think it really changes much. I think he's still going to have the same job description that he's had the last three years. And I think that their front office is going to operate the exact same way it has the last three years. Let's play that out, right? Okay. So Adam Peters becomes the GM. They promote John Lynch. What would he be doing exactly? John Lynch, you're not the GM, but you're above the GM, but like, what would he do? So, I think the thing that John Lynch brings that I think a lot of people don't give enough credit to is if you remember before John Lynch got hired, the big problem Jed York was having was that the coach and the um, GM were not being able to work together. So Balky and Harbaugh had a problem and there was reportedly friction between Balky and Chip Kelly. And so when he hired John Lynch, his Jed York's message to the 49ers, the organization, to fans and everybody was that he wanted to find a coach and GM that could work in lockstep. And that's what he did in first hiring Kyle Shanahan and then finding a GM that can work with Kyle Shanahan and John in John Lynch. And so I think that the big thing that John Lynch brings is that I think he's able to connect everybody together and manage the entire situation. And to me in the NFL and coaching and head coaching, uh, when people are looking for hires, I think there is a lot of schematic emphasis when management is often understated and underrated. That's why you get a lot of young, bright offensive coordinators get hired very early and you find out that they're unable to manage the entire picture and manage the whole team. While a guy like John Harbaugh has lasted in 
Baltimore for 12 years because he excels at solely management. And so to John Lynch's credit, and I think what he would bring, even if he's not bringing, I don't know what his personal acumen is. Maybe it's phenomenal. I don't know. But if he's not bringing that, I think he will bring someone who's able to manage the entire picture, represent the organization with uh, a ton of class and a ton of uh, professionalism. See, I think the thing that Lynch brings is mostly one, he was hired by Kyle Shanahan, so he might disagree with him, but ultimately he's going to do what Kyle wants. But two, he gets to do all the interviews. He's like the public face and voice of the team. Kyle does like some very, very few. I think Kyle wants nothing to do with that. To me, that's the biggest thing John Lynch brings is he's the guy that does the hit with KMBR. He's the guy that, you know, is out there when, when something happens with the Niners and Kyle doesn't have to deal with it. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. And he has proven to be a very good speaker in front of the media. It's something he's comfortable doing. Again, his predecessor, Trent Baalke, wasn't very good at oh, it. He, yeah, he had issues talking to the media with something that made him very uncomfortable. He was just solely a football guy. And John Lynch is, seems to excel at it. He's really good at it. And I think that that's something that cannot be understated because the Niners have gotten very favorable press the last three, four years, which is a big uh, left turn from the press they were getting the two years, three years prior. So I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that John Lynch is just likable and people in the media will say good things about people they like. And John Lynch gives his time for people in the media. And I think that that favorable press is something that you might lose if you lose John Lynch or John Lynch isn't part of the organization in the same fashion. Yeah, you're right about the favorable press. For a team that's lost 10 games in three of the last four years, they certainly get a lot of love from their own beat writers. Right. They get a ton of love. And they it's not just like the beat writers from the national media. I mean, you look at some of the failures that this regime has had from a draft standpoint. Like, you go back to Trent Baalke. Trent Baalke also had a couple of very good drafts. Like 2010, even though Scott McLugan was there, it was mainly Trent Baalke. And he picked Navarro Bowman. He picked Anthony Davis. He picked Mike Ayupati. 2011, at the time, two, three years later, was looked at as one of the great drafts of all time with Alden Smith and Chris Culliver and obviously Colin Kaepernick. So you look at those two drafts. And then, of course, 2012 was terrible. 2013 had a couple of players. 2014, you still have Jimmy Ward, who's still around one of the best players in the Niners. 2015 yielded Eric Armstead. 2016 got you and Chukwaski Tart. 2016 got you DeForest Buckner. So he still provided a decent number of core players that were still remaining for this regime. And uh, the name that's been circulating through Twitter, because I think Grant Cohn brought him up today was Solomon Thomas. And if you look at the coverage that the Niners have gotten for the Solomon Thomas pick, it's been mighty favorable. The bears get all the blame because they traded up that one spot for Mitchell Trubisky, but Mitchell Trubisky has had one season in the NFL where he made the pro bowl. He's also had a couple of winning records, in the NFL as a starting quarterback. Now, I don't use those two things to evaluate quarterback play, and he hasn't been a good quarterback, especially compared to the two quarterbacks taken after him who are Hall of Famers. But Solomon Thomas is yet to have even a string of a couple games where he shows being anything besides a rotational piece. And he was the third pick in the draft. And so I think for those reasons, you really have to look at John Lynch and just say there is something he's bringing where the Niners aren't getting as scrutinized as they should be or could be for the things that have happened in this regime. 
Yeah, and they also traded back into the first round in 2017 to draft a guy that couldn't even get through the combine medical review without getting kicked out. And they were patting themselves on the back for trading back into the first round to take Reuben Foster, who, of course, was off the team. And then because Foster didn't stick around, they had to overpay Quan Alexander. It was a whole thing, but everybody knows knows that story. But I agree. Lynch has got to be providing something. Uh, and maybe the favorable press is it, because like you said, it's, I mean, the Solomon Thomas thing, I ding the 49ers for that forever. And, and I've been told by a lot of 49ers people that I need to just move on. Well, it was hard to move on when the quarterback they should have drafted was beating them in the Super Bowl. That's all I'm saying. I, it's, it's, I can't forget that too quickly. Before we move on, though, I did want to touch on one thing you brought up, and I think that's really important because I think that point that you just made is going to really dictate the success of the 49ers the next two years. You brought up the fact that they traded up for Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster didn't work out. They overpaid for Quan Alexander. Where you've seen this pattern in this regime, trade up two picks to get Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis doesn't work out. Trade two picks to get Emmanuel Sanders. Can't re-sign him and then trade three picks to get Brandon Ayuk. Now, Brandon Ayuk ultimately is the great pick, but you just lost, what, seven draft picks because you had to get Pettis, who didn't work out. You couldn't retain Sanders, but you needed Sanders to make it to the Super Bowl. And now you tr- lost three possible players to get Brandon Ayuk. And that's that's where when you have to start playing, paying your best players as a franchise, which is what the Niners are going to start doing. Kittle got paid. Fred Warner is going to be paid. There's a lot of people that are going to be paid. Um, you hope that you've drafted well enough to maintain depth in your roster because your depth is going to start getting cut. And the Niners misses on draft picks and their utilization of resources to uh, fit their value chart. So they valued the wide receiver position. They wanted a wide receiver like Ayuk. They thought Pettis was going to be that guy. He wasn't. They, they had to get Sanders. When you have to do those type of small things to get it, when you're a team that's not very good, not paying anybody and has a ton of resources, it doesn't mean anything. 2021, 2022, that's when we're going to see how much those mistakes come back to hurt the 49ers. I have never actually connected those dots before with the wide receivers, with the Pettis, Emmanuel Sanders, Ayuk dots. That is fascinating to me because, I mean, it, it helps explain how the 49ers got in the situation that they're in. Over and over and over, we've heard John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and even Adam Peters earlier this offseason say that this draft is hugely important to the 49ers that they have to restock their roster. And I think potentially it may be part of the reason that they are not going all out for Deshaun Watson because they need these draft picks. Because like you said, they've had to give up so much capital throughout the years to make up for their mistakes that you can't keep kicking the can down the road forever. And so here's where we are. Yeah, I I think that that's exactly it. I never put the, I never connected those dots, man. That is, you're blowing my mind right now. Like, they could potentially miss out on a 25-year-old absolute stud of a quarterback, not just because, but partly because they missed on Dante Pettis in 2018. That is, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's hurt them in different ways too. I mean, if you look at it, I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, the one thing they've made very clear in their franchise is they have a very strict value chart. So they value positions in a great order, and you can see that, if they think a guard is worth $3 million, they're only going to pay $3 million. And it's something where you look at, get rid of Mike Person, right? The right guard interior line when Big West went out was an issue. It wasn't the biggest issue. I still think that quarterback play has hurt this offensive line a lot more. I am in that line of thinking. But, but 
their idea to replace Mike Person was just give the same $3 million to Tom Compton, who was just an absolute bust. And it's where you have to start asking yourself with the Niners, is their value chart and their their strict um, discipline to remain tied to their exact value of players, is that hurting what they're doing here? I don't know. It's, it's fascinating because we're going to see a lot play out over the next two years that's going to dictate is Kyle Shanahan the coach still in 2023 and 2024? I think that in general, a value-driven organization like the 49ers is a very good thing. I think it helps with your process. But I also think, and this is something I wrote about on NinersNation.com a little while ago, there comes a time when you have to go away from that, when you have to recognize certain people, certain decisions need to be made beyond the value chart because of the impact that they can have. Not a lot. You can't keep making exceptions again and again and again. But once in a while, there are decisions that have to be made that go beyond the value chart. I happen to think quarterback is one of them. I happen to think Deshaun Watson is one of them. You know, I think that if they were going to give up, there is a package that they could put together to get Deshaun Watson. Maybe it's way more than anyone's willing to pay, but they can do it. It might include Bosa. It might include whatever the case is, but they can do it. I think that they should do it, that they should throw the value chart to the wind and make the move. I don't know if they ever will do that, which makes me wonder how they're going to end up with the franchise quarterback. So two things you brought up here that were very interesting to me. The one thing is the first thing about Deshaun Watson. So you asked me this question two months ago. I'm a big value chart guy. I, I like analytics as much as I like just watching football and all that. So I would have said, no, well, you know, three first round picks, couple defensive starters, all of that is too rich. Well, to me, that went out, that, that, that logic is kind of thrown out the door because it's desperate time. Like the Niners don't want to seem desperate. They don't want to admit they're desperate, but they have a roster that really has a window in 2021. 2022's window is still a giant question mark. And the Rams just went all in, pushed their chips to the table and went and got Matthew Stafford. The Arizona Cardinals have, in my opinion, a top 12 quarterback in Kyler Murray. The Seattle Seahawks, as long as Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll there, I don't know if they'll ever win a Super Bowl again, but they're going to win 10 football games in a season. So that means that the Niners, to compete, they, they got to get desperate here. Deshaun Watson's cap hit in uh, 2021 is only $10.52 million. So theoretically, you can have the absolute most stacked roster with Deshaun Watson in 2021 and go make a run and go all in on 2021. So that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing I wanted to say is you brought up the idea of quarterback is one of those uh, positions to you that go beyond value. And, you know, to me, it's actually one of the funniest things in sports because everybody wants to be idealistic and noble and say you do whatever you can to go get your franchise quarterback. And then teams do whatever they can to go get their franchise quarterback. And they say, ah, they overpaid. We, the, the Niners were smart to balk at the price. Matthew Stafford, ah, the Rams did everything they can to go get him, but they, they, they were stupid. The, the Niners were smart. Well, that, that doesn't line up to me. It's, it's either you do whatever you can to go get him, and when you get him, you have to compliment the team that got him, or it's because the line of thinking is whenever somebody goes all in, we criticize it. But to me, what the Rams are doing, while it's crazy, while it's something that I would never do, while it goes against everything I've ever learned in the last 15 years of my life watching football, it's respectable and commendable from the standpoint of they really understand that their their option after trading for Jalen Ramsey is either to win this year, next year, or not win again because they don't have picks, they don't have capital, and they don't have money to move around. And so they 
didn't think golf was the guy. They were right about that, in my opinion. And they went and got a guy who I'm very particular, I'm particularly very high on in Matthew Stafford. And I'm excited to see how it turns out with them. But I think you bring up that great point that when people say, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has said it, when you see a guy that can be one of the five best guys in the league, you do whatever you can to go get him. Well, that guy is right there in Deshaun Watson. He's not can be, he is one of the five best guys in the league. So we'll see if they do do whatever they can to get him. I just don't understand it. You don't get extra points if you win a Super Bowl without getting Deshaun Watson. It's not worth more than a Super Bowl that you would win if you got him and it worked out. You don't get extra points for sticking to your value chart. Like, it's a pass-fail business. And the 49ers regime, and I love Kyle Shanahan, love him. I think he's amazing. But they have failed, basically, pretty spectacularly for three out of the four years. Let's be honest. Like, there's no other way to put it. I know there's context and circumstances there, and I get it. but The Rams strategy is working. They're winning. They're going to the playoffs. The 49ers are not, and they're not even that close, really. So I just, I hope that they see that it's time, like you said, kind of to get desperate, to make a move, because just doing what you're doing, hope is not a strategy. The big thing for them is, I think, I think it, like this context of talking about Watson, it matters organization to organization, right? He's not the right fit for every organization. The reason he's the right fit for the Niners is because there isn't a long-term plan here with the 49ers. They're still not committed to Jimmy Garoppolo. So even if they run it back, bring a ton of guys back, they're still not 100% restructuring Garoppolo's contract and saying he's the guy, which means that there isn't a long-term play here, regardless of how many good players you have on your roster at 2023, if the quarterback's not there, which is why I think they are in a place and they are in a spot where they might have to get desperate because to me, these next two years, especially 2021, is the year. Yeah, I mean, I I did this uh, inauguration day. Levin Black and I, who hosts the Thursday show on the Niners Nation podcast network, just did a look like how many people do you think will, can you definitely say will still be with the 49ers in four years? And guess what? The list is like maybe one. Honestly, even if you include Kyle Shanahan in that list, like how many guys, I mean, I'll ask you, in four years, would you say definitely 100% you know are going to be on the 49ers? George Kittle, Fred Warner. Maybe. That's where the list kind of stops for me. I mean, honestly, I would if if it I would throw Kittle in the deal for Deshaun Watson in a second. In fact, he'd be one of the first guys I would offer up. Here, three first round picks and Kittle. I would do that deal and be thrilled if that was all it took. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you would have to consider it just because of the player that the Texans are offering. I think the big thing for the Niners, and I do want to touch on this aspect of it, because I think this is a detail of it that's kind of outside of the control of what we've been talking about. And it's that uh, the consistent reports has been from like guys like Adam Schefter has been that the Texans don't aren't moving to Sean Watson. They don't seem ready to do business. And to me, the Niners big issue is that that two point four million dollars to cut Garoppolo is up till June 1st. After June 1st, his money becomes guaranteed. And I I think the Texans are the type of petty organization where they're going to wait for this to get ugly. They're going to make Deshaun, they're going to ask the questions of Deshaun, are you willing to sacrifice your money? Are you willing to not come to camp? And they're going to, of course, paint him as the bad teammate because he's not coming to camp with his team and all of that. So it's going to get ugly for me. And I don't think the Niners are in a position to wait that out. I I think they got to make some move, whether it's, it's got to be some move made, whether you're committing to Jimmy whether you're trading up for a quarterback, whether you're drafting a quarterback, whether you're trading to Deshaun for Deshaun, I think that they have to make one of those 
three or four moves. One of them has to be made. So there is a plan here because right now they look like a team that's just trying to pivot to the next guy, to the next guy, to the next guy. Let's figure this out. Your quarterback is supposed to help you. And right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is not consistently healthy. His play is not consistently good on the field. And his contract is such right now because they're afraid to restructure it. It's hamstringing the team and preventing them from freeing up more cap room to bolster the team around him. So you are not getting anything from that position right now. And that's the frustrating thing for me. The 49ers could use more cap room. Who can't, right? There's a way to do that. You can restructure your quarterback and free up cap room, except they don't want to do that because they know he's not the guy. So if you know he's not the guy, what are you doing? There's an expression. What must be done eventually must be done immediately. Why keep yourselves held hostage? The Rams just got rid of Jared Goff, the most untradeable, unmovable contract in the league. That's all we were told again and again. Well, guess what? He's suiting up for the Lions next year. So, like, I just cannot see them doing nothing and and thinking that that is the best possible way to move forward. Yeah, I I 100% agree. It's got to be one of those three aforementioned moves. It's got to be go get draft your quarterback in whatever fashion, whether it's trading up, trading down, whatever, whoever you think it is, go draft him. Make the move for Watson, who's clearly, clearly a huge upgrade, regardless for most quarterbacks even, and he's a giant upgrade from Jimmy. Or restructure Jimmy, show your faith in Jimmy, and go sign a bunch of people like uh, go get Trent Williams, bring him back, bring back Jason Barrett, bring back Jaquaski Tartan, have this loaded team and try to recreate 2019. But you can't sit here and do nothing. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I have a little sort of draft conspiracy since you mentioned moving up. I want to kind of go through how I think that that might happen and why we haven't seen anything right now. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do that and more. Welcome back to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Okay. So let's just say, since you mentioned it before we went to break, Vish, that the 49ers decide they're going to move up in the draft for their quarterback. Um, but it's going to take some picks because there's a few teams that are ahead of the Niners that I think want quarterbacks. I think Atlanta could go quarterback. I think that Philadelphia could absolutely go quarterback. So they're, they're going to have to move up, I think. Is it possible that they work out a scenario where maybe on draft day or right be, I would say on draft day, they – move a Jimmy Garoppolo to the Patriots to acquire a draft pick that they then use in a package to move up higher in the draft. They can't trade Jimmy G to the Patriots now for picks because that kind of tips their hand. But if they wait a little while and do it during the draft, maybe they have a better chance to sort of get ahead of those other teams. Does that make sense or am I crazy? No, I think that's actually the best scenario if they like one of these draft quarterbacks like a Trey Lance, a Zach Wilson, a Justin Fields. If they like one of those guys so much that they think they have to get him and obviously they can't move, then obviously then you can't cut Jimmy or can't move Jimmy. I think the big thing with that is that you're keeping Jimmy's $27 million cap hit on the book. So the big thing is, of course, Parag Marathe is a genius, but when you're going in to re-sign Jason Barrett and you're going in to re-sign Trent Williams, how do you structure it where it all fits under the contract until you move Jimmy and then you're replacing him with a very cheap rookie starting quarterback? So I think that would be the big thing to look at. But otherwise, I think if they're still in the mood where they want to move Jimmy Garoppolo, which at this point, like we know that they're not 100 percent sold on him, but we don't know if they're 100 percent into moving him. I mean, Schefter's big prediction. Yesterday was that he thought 
that the Niners were going to stick with Jimmy. So we don't know those those parts, those details to it. But if that's how they feel, then I think that would be the best case scenario. Which of those three quarterbacks, assuming obviously Trevor Lawrence is already gone, so I'm talking Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields, do you think the 49ers would want? I, I like Justin Fields. I, I don't. I can't really tell what the 49ers would want yet. And full uh, full disclosure, I've really only really gotten into watching Zach uh, excuse me Zach Wilson. I've seen a few TV games of Justin Fields and a few TV games of Trey Lance, and I like Justin Fields the most. To me, Zach Wilson is the most creative of the three, and he's got the highest ceiling. But I think Justin Fields has just been a consistently solid, very good player. And I think within this offense, he can be a really good player. But I think all three have extremely uh, positive physical traits to look at and be excited about. They all have strong arms. They all can move. They all can throw off platform. They all can do a variety of different things where you look at their raw skill sets and you say, with a Kyle Shanahan, theoretically, this should work because they're physically so gifted. One name that sort of got thrown out there on Friday was Sam Darnold, who, according to some reports, could be available for a second round pick, which to me means he'd probably end up getting traded for like a third round pick. But a lot of 49ers Twitter has thrown out Sam Darnold. And here's the thing I've said about Sam. He's got the same problems as Jimmy. He can't stay healthy and he turns the ball over. Plus, I'm actually curious do we really know for sure that sam darnold is that much better than josh rosen because they already have josh rosen and rosen's a hell of a lot cheaper than darnold will be um i think i think we can say yes so i liked rosen more than darnold in that draft i thought darnold was really long and lacking polish i thought the andrew luck comparisons were so rich because andrew luck was literally uh like a top 15 quarterback in the nfl his senior year of college and <laughs> sam darnold was not like that good in the pocket to be honest in college and so i thought that was crazy i thought it was a little hyped up because of usc but i think darnold has proven that he is a better player than rosen he moves better than rosen he, he's a bit more accurate than rosen i think rosen just plays too slow that's been his big problem. He played too slow in Arizona. He played too slow in Miami. Even though he had a great game, his first start versus Seattle, I thought he looked very promising. I was so happy as a guy that liked Josh Rosen a lot. But I, I just think that that's one you can't bet on. My big thing with Darnold is that there's just such a lack of polish to his game. He's so raw. And that's part of the um, thing people like about him, right? He's 23 years old. You can still mold him into whatever you want. But how long is that molding going to take? That's the big thing if you have, you have to ask yourself with the, if you're the 49ers. I think there is a scenario where Sam Darnold's a good starting quarterback two, three years down the road. But I think it's going to take one to two developmental years with him and a coach and going through that process. And the Niners don't have time for those one to two developmental years. And the other thing for me with Sam Darnold is that after that year one, or actually, as soon as you trade for this offseason, you have to make a decision on whether you want to pay him $25 million in his fifth year. And let's say you say no to that, then he's a one-year rental who's going to hit the free agent market. And if he plays any sort of solid football, like let's say he plays like 2019 Jimmy Garoppolo, then you're going to be paying him $30 million because he's a free agent and you have to pay that for him to remain your starting quarterback. And so for me, there's just too many questions like that. I know people throw out the Ryan Tannehill comparison. Ryan Tannehill with Adam Gase was just a better player than what Sam Darnold's shown. He was more polished. He played like a veteran. He was consistent. He was very accurate. I, I, I know Rich Madrid, who writes film reviews for Niners Nation as well, he posted a great thread about how Adam Gase's offense doesn't 
take advantage of Sam Darnold's athleticism. And to me, that was part of the thing that he didn't take advantage of Ryan Tannehill's athleticism. But it's apples to oranges to me. Ryan Tannehill was just better. He went 10 and 6 with Adam Gase. I don't put stock into quarterback wins, but Sam, uh, Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase had a winning record together. And I think if he doesn't tear his ACL, they might have put made the playoffs twice, though Tannehill was playing a little uh, nervous coming off that ACL injury that second year. So I don't think that's the comparison. I'm not a big fan of it, but I would I understand why people like it. Uh, yeah, I just don't know why the 49ers are going to the Walmart. You know that bin of DVDs at Walmart that are next to all the DVDs you actually want right. to buy? Like you, you don't look for your quarterback in that bin. Like That's not how you do it, especially when you have a coach that's as good as Kyle Shanahan. It's kind of amazing to me because I think that in Kyle's mind, he thinks, all I need is a guy that can just do this. Like I'll tell the guy where to throw the ball. I'll, he doesn't need to be that great. I can get through it with him which is a complete backwards logic to, for finding a quarterback. you got to do what Sean Payton does. You get an elite offensive coach, you pair him with a Hall of Famer, and then you yeah. go put up incredible numbers and, and have a lot of success. Like, But I think Kyle thinks he doesn't need that, and I think that's, that's backwards thinking. I think, that, I, think that maybe, I think that that's what a lot of the reason he's enamored with Kirk Cousins is, right? Because Kirk Cousins won't make the mistakes that Jimmy Garoppolo makes, He's a better thrower than Jimmy Garoppolo, especially down the field thrower. And Kyle feels that, you know, they have a working relationship that works. He gets along really well with Kirk and he can make it work from that standpoint. So an interesting tidbit I'll throw at you on Matt Mayoko's podcast, Sage Rosenfels went on and he basically seemed to imply that he felt that Kyle Shanahan is no longer married to that idea that Kirk Cousins would be his ultimate get at quarterback. And the way I read his statements was he said from the standpoint of, I think Kyle and Kubiak talk, and I'm sure they would have a conversation about Kirk, and I'm not sure Kyle would feel that way. And what I took from that is that maybe I don't think Kubiak felt as great about Kirk Cousins as maybe Kyle Shanahan felt prior. And that's Sage Rosenfels played for both Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan. So that's what I read that situation. I think it's really interesting to think about, but I think the ultimate thing is that you got to go get a quarterback like today's NFL. There's so much there for the quarterback. If you have a guy that can do things outside of the structure of the offense and do things within the structure of your offense, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and you have an opportunity to get him like you got to you got to open every door and at least consider and talk about and really, really convince yourself that there's a reason you shouldn't. I totally agree. Uh, I said it. Well, yesterday, but I know it's against the rules, but I think that Kyle should find a way to get a bug in Deshaun Watson's ear or his agent's ear and say, like, look what we can do together. Look what I can. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to use you. You know, like, this is what I think we can do together, because I think that the only way that Watson ends up with the 49ers is if he flexes his muscle and kind of strong arms the Texans into doing it. He can say to them, look, it's in the NFC, so you could save face with that. You'll still get some picks. You'll get some good defensive players. If if they can convince Watson that San Francisco's the spot for him and he goes to the Texans and says, I got my no trade clause, you can't go anywhere except where I say. Like That's how they have to engineer this thing. I, I, I know it's against the rules, but I also know it happens because there's a reason Matt Stafford ended up with the Rams too. I'm just throwing that out there. Yes, of course. And I, I think that would be the best case scenario. I don't know. Just going back to the Sam Darnold point, it's just something that I, I'm just not so into. 
I, I, he's just a guy that had a great pre-draft reputation. The media loves him, has covered him well. Yeah, he's had to go through hell in uh, New York with what he's had to go through. But every young quarterback who's failed has had to go through hell in whatever situation they had to go through. I, I remember being a kid, and Alex Smith was one of the first players I ever saw drafted by the 49ers. I was the biggest Alex Smith fan. And nobody gave Alex Smith the excuse of Mike Nolan making him play on his bad shoulder, the seven different offensive coordinators. The fact that Alex Smith, when he came out, was a quarterback that was comfortable in the shotgun with the game spread out. And he was really smart and he knew where to go with the ball pre-snap. And he would just wanted the field open up. And they tried to put him in archaic offenses where you're running 21-22 personnel, having him under center in the I formation, handing it off to Frank Gore and all of that. But Nobody really gave Frank uh, Alex Smith any of those excuses. And to me, Sam Darnold is lucky from the standpoint that he's gotten all the excuses that I think every young quarterback should get. But at some point, like it's, it's like the Philly situation from last year, play calling bad receivers, bad offensive line, bad, but quarterback play also bad. <laughs> yeah. It, that both of those things are all those things I should say can be true. Right. Like, and I think it's the same thing with the 49ers a lot of the time. Like the Jimmy defenders like to point to the offensive line and the blocking, how it's not very good. And it's like, yeah, that can be true. And the quarterback can still play bad. They don't operate in a vacuum of one another. <sighs> well, we'll yeah. see where it goes. I, the quarterback talk is, is never ending. It's seemingly. right. It's exhausting. And it feels like until the Niners make one of those moves that we've mentioned earlier, it's going to be never ending. And if they don't, um, restructure Jimmy and they just go into next season with Jimmy. It's going to take Jimmy Garoppolo starting week one and being on the field and everybody to see it for us to stop having this conversation because post June 1st, then the Matt Ryans become cheaper for the 49ers to get. And if the Falcons take a quarterback, then that'll be a conversation for a little bit. So I, I, I just think that until they make one of these moves, it's going to be exhausting. And I don't know at what point, like if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, like you can't not hear all these things like at what point do you just like throw your hands up and say i'm done with this that would be or awesome with going through this go ahead jimmy get on the phone now that's what you need to do go make a fuss please kick up a fuss and say you, you want to be done with san francisco that would be music to my ears but okay let's end the quarterback talk for the purposes of this episode because free agency is coming fast and furious couple weeks now we're going to have the legal tampering period starts which is hilarious because there's tampering going on right now like if you think that there's not you're out of your mind then at the combine there's the tampering is like nothing you've ever seen i, I literally have gone to the combine multiple years and seen and heard the tampering take place because the coaches and the gms are all drinking at the same restaurants while they're waiting you know during the combine what do you think they're talking about they're not talking about politics i'll tell you that so anyway Plenty of that going on. Free agency is coming. Who are a couple of free agent targets that you think the 49ers, that are realistic for the 49ers? Yeah, in the open market. So obviously the Niners free agency is going to start with their guys. And to me, the, the four I think that need to be coming back are uh, obviously Trent Williams, one, Jason Verrett, two, and then it's Kyle Juszczyk and Jaquaski Tart for me. And I think that Jaquaski Tart has been a very underrated player with the 49ers. I know nobody will mention him with those four, but I think that what Jimmy Ward and him do, being very complete football players, both of them being able to play single high, both of them being able to play split safety, both of them being able to play in the box, both of them being very good in man coverage, very good in zone coverage. They do every single thing you ask of a safety. There's very few safety tandems where you can point to two guys that are that complete. 
So I think he is important. I understand the health thing with him. The other, so now we go to the open market. And for me, there's really two, two positions I would like them to address in the open market. And that's corner and that's edge rusher. And with edge rusher, I think Unique Ngakwe is going to have a situation like the Jadavian Clowney situation of the past few years. He's a guy who's had a ton of success. He's a guy who got traded and was on that one-year rental in Minnesota, but then got moved to Baltimore. He had a pretty solid season. He's an explosive pass rusher. He's a good pass rusher. I think he's going to be looking to get the big bag this in this market, and he's not going to get it. He's going to end up signing as a one-year incentive-laden deal somewhere. And I think that's a guy that the Niners should wait on and try and get because him and Nick Bosa would be beyond phenomenal. The other guys I think I'm going to look at is I think they got to go to the corner position. And I think Akello Witherspoon, I think he might be gone. So now you have Emmanuel Mosley and we're hoping they bring back Verrett. I think you just need to bring in someone to compete for your starting job. And I'm going to bring up two unpopular names, Shaq Griffin and Kevin King, two guys that are comfortable playing in a similar scheme to this or have the traits. The Niners liked Kevin King a lot before the draft. If you look at Peter King's long expose on that draft with John Lynch, where John Lynch is doing sit-ups with the pillow in his <laughs> hotel room and all of that. Um, one of the guys they had a conversation about was Kevin King in that. And Kevin King is, to me, a, he, like, yeah, he had a terrible NFC championship game. Yeah, he's not a good number one corner, but I think he's a guy that you can come in and have him compete for your second corner job and just be a good depth. Same thing with Shaq Griffin to me. So I think that those would be two good bargain signings because you can be convinced that between those between Verrett and one of those two and Emmanuel Mosley, you will have a solid starting corner tandem. Yeah, the Akella Witherspoon thing to me is mystifying because when he's right, he's awesome. Like, he's really good. The problem is when he gets down, he just spirals and he, he can't pick himself back up. So, like, to me, whether or not you re-sign him is almost like, do you think you have the, the guy or group of guys that can keep his head on straight? Because if you do, you could get a really good corner at way lower than the cost of a really good corner. Yeah, I, I believe that. And I, I believe that he's going to be a good corner in the NFL just because he's so athletically gifted. I think it's a matter of going to a defense or going to a place that's going to use him in a standpoint that I think best uses his skill set. And I think he has to be just on the line of scrimmage and just play man, press man coverage a lot. The Niners played a lot more two man when he had his resurgence at the end of the season. And I think that helped him, especially like the Arizona game was a lot of Jason Verrett and Akello Witherspoon being very physical with DeAndre Hopkins at the line of scrimmage. And that was a very different from how they played him week one. And so I think that Akello Witherspoon in a defense like that would like, if he goes to maybe like Denver and plays with Vic Fangio or something like that. I don't know. I think he could be pretty successful because he's athletically like very gifted. Uh, you mentioned Unique. I would love for Unique and Gonkway to end up with the 49ers. Like, because you're right. They need an answer at that spot. And that is like one of the few positions where I feel like the 49ers could maybe convince somebody to come take less money because their front can be so good. Like if you tell him like, you're not the guy that's getting double team, like never, you're, you're never going to yeah. face a double team. Like come here, you'll have him, Bosa, Armstead will be able to play a little more on the inside, which is I think where he's better off. Plus Kinlaw is going to develop. I think Kinlaw is going to be, he's not going to be DeForest Buckner, but I think he's going to be really good. Like you put Ngankwe there, that is a perfect position for him to succeed and blow up for that one year like you're talking about and then go get paid in 2022. 
Right. And then the other option to me that's similar to Ngakwe, but I think he's going to be much more of a bargain is try and convince Melvin Ingram to leave one Bosa and come play on the other side of another Bosa. And I think Melvin Ingram at this point is a worse player a little bit than Ngakwe. I think he's on the downside of his career. But if you're asking him just to be a rotational, situational pass rusher, there's a ton of value for him to just come on third downs and pin his ears back and wreak havoc. And the other thing, too, I wonder is the success of the Niners in free agency and how that impacts what they do in the draft, right? Like if they get in Gonkwe or a di- a, another edge rusher that they like for next the next couple of years, do they then pass on an edge rusher in the first round because they feel like they have that covered? So, you know, I think sometimes we think of like when teams make draft plans that they're, they're going to go this position no matter what. Right? You know, we got to factor in free agency and how that affects things also. Yeah, and to me, that, that's what makes the NFL's entire concept of having free agency before the draft so stupid because the draft, the drafted player is younger and he's cheaper. And the worst case scenario for your team is you overpay for a player at a certain position of need. And then you realize two, uh, two months later that in the draft, a certain player of that same position with great physical traits falls to you and you can't draft him because you just overpaid for another guy. So I think that that's why the concept of having the draft, I think it should be draft and free agency. To me, you should be able to get the younger, cheaper player, whoever's available first, and then you go overpay for whatever you need. I I just think that that entire concept is just totally flawed. It makes no sense to me. That's the one sort of aspect of the NFL calendar that I feel like is actually in favor of the players, right? The players union cares more about the veterans currently in the league than the incoming rookie class. And it's, you're right. It's better for them to have free agency before the draft for that exact reason. I'm sure they'll try and get that worked out immediately though. They, they won't have anything to benefit the players. In the league <laughs> yeah. too long. Right, right, right. But, I, but that's actually a great point. I never thought of it from the players aspect. That's actually fantastic because then teams are willing to overpay because if they do draft that guy then your price just gets cut in half which is brutal and i think too i think there's part of it is like the owners like to go ahead and be that team that at 1201 when the new league year starts has the agreement with that big star and you get the splashy coverage and all that i think there's part of them that likes that don't I don't think people think about that enough. Like these owners like to be involved in this. Jerry Jones said it. And I, I thought it was so true. He said, basically like if I go out on the stock market or in the oil business, whatever, and I make a million dollars, nobody cares. But if I draft a guard in the second round, everybody goes nuts. And I think there's an aspect to that, that these guys like to feel like they're, you know, in the mix, making moves, making decisions. And so I think part of that is free agency. And part of that is the reason why it's uh, before the draft. Yeah, 100%. I think the business aspect of the NFL is actually something that doesn't get talked about enough. Like some players are get paid in stuff because they're inherently more marketable and more talked about than other players. It's just they might not be as good football players or better football players. It's just how it happens. And I think it's something to maybe look at with the 49ers situation because Jimmy Garoppolo is marketable and replacing Jimmy Garoppolo with Sam Darnold is not an easy sell from a business standpoint, in my opinion. Now, I don't think that's why you should ever make a decision. And I don't think that's why the 49ers will make a decision in this case. But I do think it's an angle of the NFL that a lot of people forget to look at. And if you're analyzing it, you got to look at every angle. And that's one angle that I think you should take a look at.
And I think, because I've been trying to figure this out all offseason, like, why are fans so attached to Jimmy Garoppolo when he really hasn't done that much in his NFL career? And I think what you just talked about is all part of it, right? They acquired Jimmy G. He's handsome. He looks so good. They made a big deal about Jimmy G. You know, he's coming to the Bay Area. You got this young, good-looking guy. He's got a good personality, smiles all the time. Right. And they played right into that with all the marketing and all the Jimmy GQ, all that stuff. That, I think, has helped sort of bond him with the fans in San Francisco, plus, of course, the Super Bowl berth. And that's why I think you've got people that are so attached to this guy when really he doesn't warrant that kind of love. Right. I mean, two th- it's really two things with him. It's the fact that he's really well-spoken. He's really kind. He doesn't, there, he doesn't seem to be a diva. There's not much fuss about him. I think that's one thing. Two, he seems to be extremely well-received and well-liked amongst his players and coaches and peers and well-respected. That's something that, like, there's never been a player that's come out and said anything bad about Jimmy Garoppolo with the 49ers. I think that's a testament to the players that the 49ers have gotten the last three years. But I think it's also a testament to Jimmy Garoppolo and the effect he has on other people. And then the third thing to me is that is that record. And I think that people really need to put the record past them because – I don't think you, I, or anybody else who says that the Niners can do better than Jimmy Garoppolo are saying that he's worse than Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard. I think we both, we all wholeheartedly agree that he's a much better player than either of those guys. The question is that the level of player he is, is that good enough when this team starts not being as ideal a situation as it was from a play calling standpoint, from a personnel standpoint in 2019? Yeah, I mean, that's clearly what it is. The fact that when he's been hurt, his replacements have been so horrible makes people long for the days when Jimmy Garoppolo could throw his passes behind the line of scrimmage that Debo and Ayuk turn into like first downs because they're incredible. But I, I said, you know what? I said we weren't going to talk quarterbacks anymore and we're right back here. So that's it. We yeah, have to end the show. I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the penalty. The show is ending now. Sorry, everybody. We'll try and do better next time. Vish, we really appreciate you coming on with us. I really appreciate it. I wanted to talk to you, like I said, for a long time. I think you make people smarter. You made me smarter. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really an honor to come on and do this with you. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you. You can find him on Twitter at Vish Kumaran, and you can find him on the YouTube channel, Blake and Vish Sports, as well as Mondays with everybody's favorite 49ers beat writer, Grant Cohen. Thanks for listening to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next week.